0: This is a great study that we're doing based off of the movie Courageous. If you haven't been availing yourselves of the Sunday school time, you need to come. Starting a little bit early, 9 o'clock, going about 10, 15, but it's a great study. And today was a great, great study. And this morning, I want to come straight at you. I want to find out if you're a warrior or a wimp. Isn't that a great title? Are you a warrior or a wimp? We read it earlier in Judges six twelve. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. Seems like in the Old Testament, people were warriors. People were fighting all the time. You notice that? And... That's somehow changed in the New Testament, I guess. We don't fight like that anymore. Or do we? Guys, this is a little bit alive up here. If y'all could bring this down some. We do fight still. In fact, Ephesians 6 describes the warfare that we fight. It's a spiritual battle. It's not flesh and blood. It's in the heavenlies. Because you see, we have to be accountable. We have to be people who God can count on so often we don't. I want to give you some basic facts I I ran across in my study about fatherhood in America. These should alarm us. 85% of all youths in prisons grew up in a fatherless home. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions are from fatherless homes. Ninety percent of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. Seventy-five percent of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers are from fatherless homes. Seventy-one percent of all high school dropouts are from fatherless homes And 85% of children that exhibit antisocial or behavioral disorders are from where? Staggering, isn't it? 24 million children live in homes without a dad. I should say, live without their biological father. So let me me classify that. And where are these men? Where are they? What on earth could be more important, garnish more attention, warrant more time than leading, protecting, and investing in your family? Where are these guys? Where are these men? Why are 24 million kids living without their biological dads? I think it's because millions of dads don't really know how to be men. Anybody can make a donation. (laughs) Any male can make a donation. But it takes somebody special, somebody with a lot of courage, to be a man, and to do what men are supposed to do. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6, so you have your Bibles, Get oh, we didn't even do that today, did we? We better stop and raise our Bibles here, or electronic device with your Bible. I'm a child of God, a child of God. Having, my having my hand, powerful Word of God, of God. can change lives, heal, heal broken, hearts. broken hearts, save man's soul. Amen. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, "Whoa, we better listen today. Before we move into Judges 6, I want to kind of give you some catch-up information between the books of Joshua and Judges. Joshua's getting older, and uh, he's giving a challenge to the Israelites to remain faithful to God and to follow Him in obedience. And of course, the people say, you betcha we will. Much easier to say it than it is to live it and practice it. This is the amen hand. Here's the hallelujah hand. Here's the amen hand. So when I throw up the right hand, come on with an amen. It won't hurt you at all, I promise you. You might feel like you've been at church a little bit. Come on. There we go. A little bit of you coming along. Remember, I've given the freedom of these young people up here, if they feel God touching them anyway, to throw their hands up and shout, Glory! Okay. Now at the end, they probably do that, but not during you never know. You never know. You never know what preachers are sitting there praying on the front row. Preachers, wise missionaries, you never know. But we gotta keep pouring God in them, amen. So there uh, these people said they would do it. Judges, the book of Judges begins and Joshua's died and been buried along with a number of faithful leaders. Uh, They'd carried Joseph's bones to this very place to bury him. How about that? But now they must continue on and possess the land that God allotted to them. Now let's fast forward to Judges 6. See what God has in store. Because of their saying, they were going to follow and be obedient, right? Well, let's see what he has in store. Let's pick it up at verse 7 in chapter 6. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian. Who's Midian and the Midianites? They're the next group that God's going to use to get Israel to humble itself. So what happened? I guess they weren't people of their word. How many men tell that woman... I love you just so that he can get what he wants to get and the end result, he can walk away. Where does it say that? If you're going to produce one, you better raise one. Quit walking out. Quit being a mamby-pamby. Anybody can do it. Come on, stand up and be counted. Be the man that God wants you to be. So he cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. And he said, this is what God, the Lord wants uh, Israel to do. He says, I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians, from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you I am the Lord your God. You must not worship God's, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. You have not listened to me. And so, the current predicament in Israel is that they've been disobedient. The current problem within our American culture is that we got men who are not obedient to God. And they're going to claim Christianity. They're going to claim a walk with God. They're going to claim a relationship with God. But they're not walking with God because God says if you're going to have children, raise them and walk out on them. Well, I can't stand that mother of those kids. Oh, figure it out, brother. She can't be that bad. There was one time when everything looked real good. Don't make me explain it. This is powerful words, verses 7 through 10. Powerful words. Men had abandoned their homes, men have abandoned their homes and. there are several reasons why men have abandoned God and unwilling to do the right thing. First of all, men have abandoned their homes because they have abandoned God. Look at verse 10 again. I told you I'm the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. We fail to recognize the God of the universe, who he is and what he's done, we are on a road that leads to failure. Because we're doing it under our own power, our own strength. When's the last time you were just grateful that you got up and started taking air in your nostrils? Instead of getting up and looking at around you and go, oh, here we go again. Got a low-end low job, got a worthless job, I'm tired of these people, I'm tired of the way I'm being treated. I'm tired of this, tired of that. Wham, 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 You want a little wine with that cheese you're throwing out there? God proves his power and his worth time and time again. Hindsight may be twenty-twenty, 20 but foresight is often forgetful. <laughs> How many times have you said, Lord, if you, I will only to find out that he did, and we don't. We go conveniently brain dead. Why do we go brain dead? Because we're reading words that we don't want to hear. When I was growing up, I never wanted to hear my dad talk to me because my dad could very rarely could he ever talk to me without cussing me out. He started in conversation, and then it would escalate, and he'd get mad, and then he'd start cussing us out every time. Every time, not one, not not every now, every time. I got tired of it, so I left. I left the house every chance I could get. I left my house because I didn't want to mess with my dad. I didn't want to hear from him. I didn't want to. I didn't trust him. I didn't like him. How? And when he died, I didn't even cry a tear. It was years later before I cried about the fact that my dad died because then I was a Christian and I saw it in a whole different light. I'm the only child of six. Who has his picture in our home. <clears throat> because I realized when I began to investigate who he was and his background. I realized what he he was just doing the best he could. The best he knew how. But because I was so young and I didn't understand that, and my older brothers didn't understand, none of us understood it. I began to see him differently. And then I began to understand how I missed. Out, And I had him in the home till he died. And I missed out on what a real dad is all about. Never watched me play baseball, never watched me play football, never watched me do anything. Never came to a choir concert. See, I was president of the choir in school and also on the football team. Well, you don't have the same, you don't do that. What's wrong with you? Oh, sissy boy. Started both ways on football, but I loved to sing. Didn't know how then, but I did. It was fun. Because all the girls were in the choir. (laughs) Cheerleaders wouldn't give me the time of day, but them choir girls thought I was all right. (laughs) Yes, sir. You know, know, mama didn't raise no dummy here. But I learned from my experience with my own father, and I said to God and to myself, that whenever I had children, I would be a dad to those children. And I've done the best I could. I have. uh, My kids grew up with a drug problem. Most of you didn't know that. They got drugged to church on Sunday. Drugged to church on Sunday night. Drugged to youth group on Wednesday night. They got drugged everywhere I went where the Bible was being preached. I took them. I drugged them to church camp when they weren't old enough to be at camp because I knew that the Word of God would get into their life. Anytime I can get them around the Word of God, I wanted to do it. Why? Because I needed help raising those children and being the man of God that I need to be. We've got to stand up, folks. We've got to understand that God has called us not to be failures, but to be great. And we'll only be great when we find that relationship with Christ and stand with Him. Israel abandoned the worship of God, turned their hearts toward other gods, abandoned their purpose as His people, and forfeited their rights according to the covenant that they made with God. When's the last time you stood to the covenant that you made? Now some of you are sitting here going, boy, he's... (laughs) I told you I was going to get heavy today. We have single moms and dads in this audience this morning. I admire you. I admire you more than you know. Because you're doing the very best that you possibly can to raise those children. You've got them at at church. That's half the battle. And you probably drug them here with that drug problem that they're developing. And that's okay. Great place to get the drug problem right here. But the Midianite persecution was not an accident or coincidence. It was by the hand of God, according to chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. God's people were handed over in humiliation at the hands of the surrounding nations because of sin and unfaithfulness to God. When we abandon God, consequences are deep. Men have abandoned their homes because they are afraid. Look at verse 11, chapter 6. And the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. When we abandon God, oppression mounts, and men respond in fear. Somebody, I read a, a I was reading an article the other day, and somebody, it was a kind of a Q and A type article, and they were asking this religious leader what he thought about certain things, and. One of the questions was, what are Christians supposed to do with the mounting possibility of nuclear war in America? What are we supposed to do? Obviously, sounded fearful, didn't it? I love the answer. The answer said, do what God wants you to do every day. Go get coffee at the coffee shop. Witness at McDonald's. Do what God wants you to do every day of your life. Because if you're going to die here, guess what? Woo, we get to go there. (laughs) See, you already win because you've got Christ in you. You don't lose. If they take this life, hallelujah, no more knee pain, no more diabetic shots, no more I can eat all the butter, brickel, ice cream I want to. (sighs) I could eat any ice cream I want to. I'd take even old yucky vanilla Boy, it would taste so good with real sugar in it. French fries, dripping with grease. (laughs) Oh, when you haven't had it, (laughs) you can say yuck. Yuck. T-bone steak made, oh, Lord have mercy. I'm getting hungry, I better shut up. You're getting hungry, you're going to leave me. Gideon was threshing the wheat by hand rather than using cattle, indicating the small amount of wheat that he actually had. Rather than doing it on a threshing floor, he was in the wine vat out of view for fear of being caught. Gideon was living his life in fear. We we have allowed the world to come in and to capture our homes, our families, and our purposes because we are absolutely afraid you just keep living the life that god's called you to live no matter what's going on around don't worry about it drink your coffee do whatever you need to do just keep having a great time and if something wild happens like a nuclear attack and a bomb you're going to be disintegrated anyway okay but hit that home run man if you're at a softball game hit that home run right before it hits amen and when the ball goes over the fence and you see the atomic mushroom, you'll say, whoo, what a hit, man, that guy You See, it's all about attitude, isn't it? It's all about relationship. Do I want to see a lot of things yet before I die? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to see my second grandchild coming this summer. I want to see that. I want to see Kelsey go to preschool. Those poor teachers, to have no idea what they're fixing to get She'll be teaching the teacher on how to teach the kids. She's such a smart little girl because of the impact that her mom and dad are having in her life. In fact, I told Corey, I said, you make a lot of money and then hire Misty to raise your kids. You'll be smart if you do. But we've allowed the world to come in and steal our joy. The next reason men abandon their homes is because they're weak. Look at verse 15. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. <laughs> he was giving every kind of excuse in the world to God. We've all talked about Gideon's fleece. He puts out before God to make sure he's getting the right answer. But you've got to understand, in the context of him asking for that fleece, he's scared to death. He is afraid to mobilize. He's afraid to get up and go. He's pulling the covers over his head and saying, ah. I know some of you did that this morning. You got up and looked at your cell phone and saw what temperature was outside. 19 degrees. (gasps) Ah. You were hoping for balmy Florida where the the low temperature last night was 74. I looked just for fun. Hey, it could be worse. We could be up north, right? In Alaska, the high today is minus 52. <laughs> oh, they're looking for a heat wave up there. That's that, uh, that's that global warming stuff. Still it's still working. It's amazing. Look at verse 16 in Judges. Here's what God says to Gideon's response. But I will be with you. I will be with you. Whoa. God often chooses and calls people who are weak to fulfill His purposes because in our weakness, He is made strong. Paul describes it greatly in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10. We hide behind weakness. We slap the God of the universe in the face because weakness isn't about recognizing our limitations. It's ultimately about ignoring the power of God available to us. And, and we always step back in amazement when God does answer prayer, don't we? he answers answer prayer and we'll step back and go, whew, man, I didn't expect that. Well, then why were you praying? If you're going to pray, pray expect Him to bring, bring an answer. But we do. We step back all the time. Well, I, because, see, we center on ourselves. That's the problem. If we don't believe God's going to answer our prayer. Even though we prayed it, we, we, we prayed it. We threw it out there, but we didn't expect God to answer. We've lost our mind. He's lost his mind. He actually answered my prayer. I remember when my number two brother went forward. I was in college. I just came home for the weekend because I needed some of my mom's fried potatoes. Oh, that's why I came. And a bucket of her sweet tea. I needed both of them. Rest of it, I didn't matter. But I needed some fried potatoes and sweet tea that only my mother could make. Can I get an amen? (coughs) And my brother, number two brother, I'm telling you, you, if you knew him, you'd say, hey, no way this guy's coming to Jesus. Mm -mm. So that Sunday, I'm sitting there, it's the invitation time, and I thought, oh, this will be great. I was half asleep. He gets out and starts walking toward the front. You know what my initial response was? He's going up there to hurt that preacher. That preacher must have said something got him upset. He ain't going to hit him. I know he's going to. I started to leave and go up there with him and just kind of hold him back. But then I saw when he turned the corner he looked up toward the preacher, his shoulder's kind of like this. And I thought, uh-oh, uh-oh. And sure enough, he went forward to make a confession of faith and call on Jesus as his Savior. Ha, oh, ha, I've been praying for him that he'd do that. But my first reaction was that he wasn't going to receive God. He was going up to make trouble. I learned a lesson. And for 30 years, I kept praying, kept praying, and kept praying. And my older brother came to Jesus. And he's a different man. He's a different man. My cousin called him. She's a female. She called him just to kind of talk to him because it's hard to get him to talk. She said, I couldn't get off the phone for 30 minutes with him. She goes, "Well, I wonder what happened to him. I said, well, let me tell you. And when I told her, she goes, well, that makes all the sense in the world. I said, yeah, because he can't tell, he wants to tell everybody. Isn't that what it's about? And why should we worry when God's doing a great work in each of us? It's ultimately about ignoring the power of God. 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but what power, love, and a sound mind. God wants to answer our excuses by empowering and replacing our fear with fearlessness. His supernatural ability to transform us from weak to strong. And here's how He does it. Rather than abandoning us, God chooses to transform and strengthen. First of all, He consumes us. Look at, started verse, pick it up at verse 17, chapter 6 of Judges. Gideon replied, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign. <laughs> here it is. To prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you, He answered. I will stay here until you return. So Gideon hurries home, cooks a young goat with a basket of flour, bakes some bread without yeast, and then carrying the meat in the basket and broth in the pot, he brought them and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, Place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock, pour the broth over it, and Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and the fire flamed up from the rock, consumed all that he had brought, and the angel of the Lord then disappeared. I can imagine how Gideon felt. He wondered about this wondrous sign. Signs that his ancestors had experienced. He mentions that in verse 13. He soon found out that the wonder was in the consumption. Because we are the consumer in every area of our lives. We bring that ideology to God as well. Because see, we're looking as a consumer for what God can give us. Instead of us looking to God about what we can give Him. We need to give God. Not expect Him to give it to us. Let's give it back to God. He's already given it to us. He's given it to us. When Gideon followed the instructions, laying out the offering on a rock, the angel of the Lord consumed it with fire. In verse 21, Romans 12, 1 and 2 reminds us that we're living sacrifices. And the problem with living sacrifices is they keep climbing off the altar. All of you get that one? That's kind of funny. You're supposed to laugh. It's too late now. But I'm, I'm well past it. Hebrews twelve twenty nine reminds us that our God is a consuming fire. For men to step up and be courageous fathers, it means being consumed by God. Now, I'm not talking about jumping pews, putting placards all over your vehicle, honk if you love Jesus. Not the way some of you drive. Don't do it. It's a bad testimony to us that are trying to break that habit of driving fast. I don't drive as fast now. I just don't know where I'm going. And my, I love to watch my wife when she rides with me. We need a driver's education car that has a set of brakes and steering wheel. <laughs> I'll guarantee you, boy, she'd have the foot on the brake most of the time. Cause I, I just get to daydreaming about God and dreaming about having a beautiful woman beside me over there. She goes, you're following way too close. I said, well, I can read the guy's license plate. It's all right. I said, honey, he's got brown hair. He's kind of got bad... <laughs> Can't get so close. Christians need to step up and be mighty warriors in the army of God. And it takes laying our lives on a rock and being completely consumed by God. So let me ask you three quick questions. Is your life consumed by progress or by, or by being used by God? Is your life consumed with yourself or by your desire to serve others? I asked the teenagers a few weeks ago that does it matter what people think about you? Oh, no, not at all, not at all, not at all. I said, why don't you carry your Bible in school? Deathly silent. Because if they showed up with a Bible, people are going to make fun of them. Now, let me throw it at you, almighty adults. How many of you carry your Bible to work? That's what I thought. That's us I told you. They're scared just like you are. Because we care about what people think about us. Oh, yeah. We're more concerned about what the world has to say to us than what God has to say. I asked him, I said, do you you get to go to math class without your math book? Not very often. (laughs) Yeah. But, boy, we come to church, don't ever carry the book. Well, you ain't in there very much. Oh, really? I'm in there all the time. I'd like you to join me sometimes. Well, I'm embarrassed. Oh. I don't know where it is. I can't find Judges. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, Genesis, Judges. It's right there. See, come on. There's a little page in the front that says Index. It has all the books listed, Old and New Testament. It even has a page number. Use it. When I got to Bible college, I had to use that to find out where he was talking. I thought Psalms was palms and Job was job. I had no idea. He said something out of Habakkuk. I thought he was cussing at us in Hebrew. I had no idea. (laughs) Is your life consumed by career or by being centered on family? Then in Judges chapter 7, he breaks us. Consumes us and he breaks us. He uses our weakness to accomplish his purpose. He used a stuttering man as a mouthpiece and Moses a shepherd boy to be a mighty king and David made a simple virgin Mary the mother of Jesus and an enemy of God and Paul the champion of the church. Wow. Pick it up with me in verse 1 of Judges 7. So Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morea. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me, and they'll say they saved themselves by their own strength. Verse 3, therefore tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. (laughs) 22,000 of them left, leaving 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord said to him, Divide the men into two groups. One group, those who cup the water in their hands and lap it with their tongues like dogs. And the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. There were only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, verse 7, With these 300 men I will rescue you and give the victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions, the ram's horns, and the other warriors, sent them home. But he kept 300 men with him, and the midnight camp was in the valley just below Gideon. You see, God whittled Gideon's army down to nearly nothing. Verse 2 reveals why. Because God moved, removed any chance the people could assume credit for the win when He limited the chances of their success. We cannot be the church that God's called us to be if we're doing it to get praise of men. If we're doing it so that people will go, whoa, look at that, whoa. No, we're doing it so we bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. We have nothing. He has everything. He is the leader of this church. Some of you have said me, good luck. I'll lead you astray every time. Don't follow me. But let's follow Jesus together at the cross, and we might see some victory. Amen. Gideon wanted fighters, but God wanted faith. Gideon had 32,000 men on his side. It would have been easy to ride that adrenaline and thrash to the Baal's altar and assemble that mighty army and begin to develop pride as a response. For us to be warriors, we have to rely on God. And God alone, dads, you've got to trust God. You've got to be on your knees. One of my favorite pictures is the dad at night kneeled down by the bed, praying. And the caption under the, under the picture is spiritual warfare. The dad's got his hand on his child in bed sleeping, and he's praying. Because you see, we can't do it alone, dads. We've got to have the Spirit of God moving in us. We've got the power of God showing us. We've got to have that relationship that'll make it happen. What about your needs? What about you that needs to be broken, removed so that God can use you? He does use us. Pick it up in verse 19, chapter 7. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. I love this part. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hand and the horns in their right hand, and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! Each man stood at his position. See, you can't just read. you got to yell it like they did. You yell it. Each man stood at his position around the camp, watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. Look at this. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight each other with their swords. So they were killing each other because they didn't know who it was. They didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and there were thousands of them and they were killing themselves off. <laughs> You're not going to get me, man. <laughs> it's kind of like being at night. You don't see what's going on. You start swinging, right? You could kill somebody. And they did. Then he goes on to say, those who were not killed fled the places as far as beth near Zariah and to the border of Al-Moholah near Tabith. When we are completely broken and consumed, we are useful to God. Gideon, this story continues with a successful victory over the Midianite camps with just 300 men. By the power of God, They had a ram's horn and a torch. Wow. Those are mighty weapons, aren't they? (laughs) I want to restate that original statistic 24 million children in this country living without their biological dads. How many men render themselves useless when it comes to family (laughs) responsibility? Yet what might happen if those same men were to tighten their grip on truth and assume courageous leadership in their homes? What might happen in our communities and nation if even some strengthened their resolve? Families would glorify God, not because of our efforts, but because He provides the power and the victory. I want to challenge you this morning as Phyllis comes to the piano. God wants you to accomplish His purpose. As long as Christ tarries and we all await His return, we are the hands and the feet of God, the body of Christ, His church. We are the bride of Christ and we wait for the bridegroom to come get us. Our readiness is related to our relationships. How we live out our call as fathers, mothers, faithful followers, ministers, evangelists, teachers, and disciples can be weak or strong. We can be wimps or we can be warriors. How will you respond to the war for your family? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for just this short opportunity to speak a word of encouragement into the lives of your people here today. God, I'm convinced every time I preach that there's somebody in this church that needs to respond to the message. Today is no different. I believe there's somebody in this room, a dad in this room, that's ready to... He's ready to take a stand. He's ready to be accountable. He's ready to be the father that you need him to be to the children, to the wife that he has in a home. For our single parents here, God, would you bring a special measure of courage, a special measure of patience, a special godly anointing into their home. I thank you for their desire to see their children in church. I thank you for their desire to love their children and to be everything that they need to be for those kids. And I know, God, you will honor that and you will bless them. Oh, you'll bless them. But, God, we all must be ready to have a deeper, committed relationship with you. It's not enough to say it on the surface. As I've told our young people and challenged them, it's not enough that you help other people. You're a Christian, and so you have to act different. You have to be different, and it has to be noticeable. See, any of us can say it like the Israelites did. Oh, we'll stay with you. We'll be obedient, and yet fall away in a heartbeat when some tough times come. So God, would you find some faithful dads in this group this morning? Who are ready to stand and be accountable for you and to you there might be some moms that say you know what I need to help him I need to help him be that way not by nagging him and driving him but by reading scripture with him and praying for him and loving him and submitting to his authority God you set a pattern for us to follow and when we do great things come so father I'm praying today for everyone in this room young people, adults, moms and dads, that you'll give them that extra measure of love, patience and courage. That we'll become warriors and not wimps. In Jesus' name, amen. Song of invitation, if God's moving you to make a decision of any kind.